what is up and welcome to beyond the art with brandon silvers as always i am your host brandon silvers feels good to be back after taking that time off to enjoy the holiday and recover let's go ahead and just ease right back into it by going into my wheelhouse of being handsome and providing great nba coverage we're a quarter of the way through the season now so let's see what's going on I mean, let's be honest, there's been a lot going on, so many sports happening right now, so you probably haven't had enough time to really keep up with the NBA like you like, but don't worry, I got you. It's also a great opportunity to revisit some of the takes that I had in my preseason NBA preview. As a bonus, I'm also going to fill you in on everything else you may have missed from the sports world during my week off because maybe you were busy trying to eat a whole cheesecake by yourself and avoid your family members just like me, so I got you on that as well, so let's go ahead and get into it. All right, so let's go ahead and start with last year's NBA champs, the Golden State Warriors. Now, I thought they were going to be a contender again and win around 50 games, but they've really been hovering around that 500 mark to start the year. And more importantly, they don't pass my eye test. So Steph has been incredible as usual, but my James Wiseman might finally turn into a solid contributor this year take was way off. They had to send him to the G League, and he's struggling there. Now, I'm not quite ready to call him a bust yet because he's still so young, but he is starting to look a little bit Michael Oluwakandi-ish. But the main storyline so far this year outside of Draymond punching Jordan Poole was one I actually warned about, and that is Clay Thompson. So Clay's been a little bit better lately, but he started off super slow overall. A big reason for that is that he flat out didn't work out this offseason because after suffering an ACL tear and an Achilles rupture, he was scared of having another injury after going through a deep postseason run last year. So he's basically just been playing himself into shape to start the season. But the bigger story of this whole thing has been the criticism he's received, mostly because he's been pretty open about how much it's bothered him. He thinks the focus should be on how he's come back from both of those injuries instead of how he's not the same player that he was. But my thing is, we can do both. We can acknowledge how incredible it is for him to come back from these two catastrophic injuries and also point out how it affects his game moving forward and different things that don't even have anything to do with the injury really, such as the fact that he shoots too much and he's not the same guy defensively. That could be because of the injuries, certainly, but also because of age. He also needs to figure out how to contribute more in the flow of the offense. These are valid criticisms and have nothing to do with not giving him credit for coming back from his injuries. And I do sympathize with him because coming back from an Achilles tear is just as much mental as it is physical. I mean, I was afraid not to have my whole foot on the step when I was going up and down stairs for I don't know how long. And there's definitely a strength deficit in the injured leg that lasts for a while as well. But sports, particularly at the pro level, isn't a very sympathetic field. And if you're playing, you need to perform. And Clay's coming around a little bit, but it's very obvious that he's never going to be the same. Now, will the team come around and be the same? I don't know. I'm a firm believer in to be the champs, you got to beat the champs, but they look incredibly beatable right now. And at this point, they're only scary because of their past. I predicted in my season preview that I didn't think they were going to repeat, and I feel super confident in that right now. And you know what? I was confident in the Miami Heat as well. And so far, they're making me look silly, which is pretty hard to do. I thought they had an outside shot to be a championship contender. They were going to win about 50 games. But so far, they've been playing 500 ball for the whole year and just haven't looked good at all. Now, a big reason for that and one that I warned you about was Jimmy Butler's mileage finally catching up to him. And sure enough, he's missed a lot of games so far due to injury. 
Even worse than Jimmy missing games is Kyle Lowry playing in them. And he is just absolutely done. It's to the point where I feel bad for criticizing him because he's been so bad. But then I remember how much he flops and that feeling just kind of goes away. He looks really out of shape and also can't shoot the ball. And I really can't blame him because I was also fat and bad at basketball when I was around authentic Cuban food for the first time in my life. But good Lord. I mean, the dude's had a good career, but this was a swing and a miss by Pat Riley. Kind of like giving Duncan Robinson that five-year, $90 million contract. So Duncan's only NBA skill is three-point shooting. And that's why it's incredibly unfortunate that he can't do that anymore. And what's sad is I think the main reason he's so bad is imposter syndrome. He's someone they had to beg to shoot even when he was hitting 40 and 45% of his threes. And he's just never struck me as a guy who thinks he belongs in the NBA. And now he might be right. They've got to make a big move and quick if they want to turn things around, but I don't know if they had the cap space and pieces to do it. Hmm, which actually sounds like uh, another team that I know. That's right, my Los Angeles Lakers. Okay, so I was never under the impression that they'd win a championship this year, but I thought that the playoffs were a strong possibility. But apparently, I'm an idiot because these dudes stink. It's just a terribly constructed roster for this era of basketball. Anthony Davis has been better when he's healthy, but it's time for him to give up on his three-pointer. Honestly, it's time for the whole team to give up shooting threes. I mean, you can't win in this league not shooting threes, but you also can't win missing this many either. Russell Westbrook was finally convinced to come off the bench where he looked a little bit better for a couple of games, but now he's come back down to earth. Then you've got Patrick Beverly, whose biggest contribution to this point was defending Austin Reeves when the Phoenix Suns were trying to fight him and Anthony Davis was too scared to defend him. And even LeBron has surprisingly been hurt a lot this year. I mean, not super surprisingly for most guys his age, but for him. Now, when he has played, his numbers have looked mostly the same. But this leads me to maybe the hottest take I've ever had on this show, possibly the hottest take in the history of the world. So everyone always points to LeBron's stats when they make the case for him being the GOAT. But I think that based on what's happened this year so far and what happened last year, LeBron has the least impactful stats of any GOAT candidate, particularly Michael Jeffrey Jordan. All right, let me explain. So I don't think all of LeBron's stats are empty calories, but if Jordan put up numbers that close to his career averages, the Bulls record would reflect that. They would not be some middling team or a potential lottery team like these Lakers are. I mean, even when MJ had clearly lost several steps when he was with the Wizards, they were close to a playoff spot. And it's not like they had a guy of 80s caliber either. No offense to Rip Hamilton, Jerry Stackhouse, and Larry Hughes. So keep that in mind as LeBron approaches Kareem's career scoring record and these GOAT conversations start ramping up again. Incredible player, obviously. One of the best ever. But these stats the past couple of years have been looking a little bit funny in the light. Well, would you look at that? It's time for our first non-NBA story. All right, it starts off in the NBA with LeBron after the Lakers beat the Trailblazers the other night. So LeBron was in his typical post-game presser, and he kept the media late because he wanted to know from them why they didn't ask him any Jerry Jones questions after asking him all those Kyrie Irving questions. Now, I went into detail on this the last Kyrie episode that I did, and I explained why it's bullshit that black athletes are expected to answer for everything every other black person has ever done and to do so immediately. But let's talk about Jerry Jones. So Jerry is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, who were LeBron's favorite team growing up, and he was interviewed as part of a Washington Post series by Sally Jenkins and David Moranis about the lack of black coaches in the NFL. 
And Jerry is the most influential owner in the league. He acknowledges that. And he's never had a black head coach in 33 years of owning the team. And he explains this away with a lot of deflection and a lot of, well, owners hire the people they know, which is true, but is also born out of white supremacy, whether intentional or not. And it's a huge problem that I've seen firsthand in media, the tech industry, basically everywhere in this country, and it only reinforces inequalities. And as a part of this article, a photo was released of Jerry as a teenager in a crowd of white people protesting integration at his high school. And while I believe there's room for growth, and I'm not looking to judge or be judged for anything that happens in teenage years within reason, the picture does provide some context to Jerry's record on issues of race. It'd be one thing if he was out front on these issues helping the league progress, but he hasn't been. So you have to consider what role his upbringing growing up during this time has played in how he views issues of race and more importantly, how he sees black people. He explained his presence at the school in the crowd that day as simply observing, which when injustice is going on is just as harmful as blocking the door to the school. And at the very least, that's what he's still doing today. Just standing by when he, a billionaire and the most powerful man in the league by his own admission, could easily be a trailblazer and make an impact. And based on this interview, Jerry seems to think that, just as he claims he was doing that day in the photograph, that because he's not actively standing in the way of progress or black people, that he's not responsible for harm. And that seems to be the attitude of a lot of white people as well. So let's do a little thought experiment. Imagine someone standing outside of your house as it's engulfed in flames and they're holding a fire hose, but they're not pointing it at the fire. And when you ask to use it, they're like, you know, no. And then when you're pissed at them because your house burned down, they look you in the face and they want to be like, okay, I understand you're mad, but it's not like I'm the one who set the fire. Now imagine that person is also a firefighter and they knew the fire was going to be set and they maybe even brought some matches to help set it and perhaps lit a match or two. That's Jerry Jones. And I'm not discounting the fact that he's a product of his time, but he's also someone who has all the resources in the world to learn and grow and better himself, just like we expect Kyrie to do. So yeah, the picture was taken a long time ago, but he's doing the equivalent of the same thing today, except he has even more power than he did when he was 14 or 15. So to me, it's fair for LeBron to ask the media that because he's basically saying, keep that same energy. And that's completely fair. And my only caveat, as always, is that you also ask the white players as well. Come on to the podium, Austin Reeves. But anyways, the Lakers are going to need a miracle to make the playoffs, and they might as well keep Westbrook and just let his contract expire because Buddy Heald and Miles Turner are not miracle people. And honestly, with the way things have been going, I'll be ready to trade AD and LeBron by the midseason update. All right, so I mentioned Kyrie and I've already talked about the Brooklyn Nets plenty. I did have them as a championship contender if things went right, but I also warned that things could go very wrong. And surprise, surprise, things have gone very wrong. Even if you take away all that comes with Kyrie, they've still been nothing but bad basketball and off-the-court drama. Steve Nash was mercifully fired. Then they had to have a team meeting to get Ben Simmons to actually contribute when he was on the court. That led to a run where he did score double figures in six games in a row, but he's still having back and knee issues. And let's be real, scoring in double figures isn't the bar he needs to pass in order to make them contenders. And they're just as unpredictable on the court as they are off the court. They're just as likely to blow out a good team as they are to get blown out by a bad team. 
and Kevin Durant is already giving interviews talking about how he can't win with these guys. And we can debate whether or not you actually say that to a reporter out loud, but he's probably right. And they should still be able to make the playoffs, but even at their healthiest mentally and physically, they're not that good. The best thing they've done all year was decide against replacing Steve Nash with Ime Udoka and whatever the hell he's got going on which is more than you can say about the Auburn football program, who did the exact opposite and hired Hugh Freeze to be their head football coach. Our boy Hugh was the coach of Ole Miss not too long ago, but he got in a good bit of trouble for, among other things, using his university-issued phone to call escort services. And then, when all this was going on, accusations started coming out about his inappropriate behavior with teenage girls back when he was coaching in high school. What a guy. Now, he wasn't down and out too long because after all those scandals, Liberty University hired him to be their head football coach. The same Liberty University founded by televangelist Jerry Falwell Sr. that uses its religious beliefs as cover to be oppressive and support oppressive political policies. But hey, as long as the escorts Hugh called were women, no problem for Liberty. But hey, redemption, forgiveness, growth, these are all things, right? I mean, surely Hugh wouldn't do something wild like DM a sexual assault victim who was one of the plaintiffs in a lawsuit against Liberty trying to get her to stop being so publicly critical of the school, right? I mean, that'd be ridiculous. Wrong. But hey, none of that matters when you're trying to beat Nick Saban, right? So Auburn snatched him right up. Now, hopefully they at least have enough sense to not give him a phone that actually works, Maybe one of those jitterbug phones for old people. But anyways, what could possibly go wrong? Well, everything if you're the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, I know hindsight is 2020, but I honestly have no clue why I ever believed in this team. They can't defend, which actually isn't too shocking for a team with Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. But now they're super disjointed on offense as well. And Rudy Gobert, who sucks, seems to feel entitled to having plays run for him on offense which isn't helping anything. Now, that's all well and good to, to want plays to be run for you, but again, let me remind you, this is Rudy Gobert, who sucks. I have no idea how this guy has managed to not even accidentally figure out any type of go-to move, just like a little jump hook or something. If you lock Rudy Gobert in the gym alone overnight with a basketball, told him he couldn't dunk, you could count on one hand the amount of shots he would hit by sunrise. But Rudy's not the only one entitled on offense. This whole team is selfish. There's a clear power struggle going on between Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards that they need to figure out. And you know what you're getting with Carl Anthony Towns, so normally you'd ship him out, but do you really want to build around a guy who showed up out of shape and had to have Carl Anthony Towns lecturing him about not eating McDonald's and lecturing him publicly to the media? I mean, it's not like Carl Anthony Towns' body will ever be mistaken for David Robinson's or mine pre-college football season, so him lecturing you on that stuff has got to be a wake-up call. And now Towns is out with a calf injury, so that might help some of this stuff get sorted out, but they still stink. I mean, D'Angelo Russell is a complete ding-dong. This dude gave up a wide-open shot because he forgot to come onto the court when he was subbed into the game. He straight up just standing at the scorer's table thinking about how big of a disappointment he was to me when he was on the Lakers while his team is playing four on five. An assistant coach was up yelling at him trying to get him to go on the court, and he was doing it for so long without getting D'Angelo's attention that he finally gave up and went and sat down, just accepting the fact that, hey, this was a guy who was mentored by Nick Young before ruining Nick Young's relationship, and he's just too far gone to be reached. So yeah, we won't be seeing any chicken protests in the playoffs this year.
Or maybe we will if there's chicken protesters in Indiana because the Pacers have gotten off to an incredible start. I didn't think they'd win any more than 30 games and are almost halfway there already. But how was I supposed to predict that Tyrese Halliburton would turn into Andre Miller with a three-point shot? Other than by, like, looking at him, I guess. I mean, for real, though, they, they look alike. Honestly, my biggest miss here was rookie Ben Matherin. He's averaging 19 points off the bench, hitting 40% of his threes. I just didn't see that coming. He could be rookie of the year and sixth man of the year. Now, I don't think they'll be quite this good all year, but I'm not going to be stunned if they make the playoffs. A team I did expect to contend, but somehow has been even better than I thought, is the Celtics. I really hate this team, but they all know their roles and they play them well. And Joe Mazzula has made everyone forget about Ime Udoka. They're on pace to win like 65 games and Jason Tatum is putting up MVP numbers. They're beating the hell out of teams and looking like the favorite to win it all. And the only real concern is Jalen Brown getting bolder and bolder about showing that he's basically been Kyrie Irving with better PR this whole time, at least until recently. I think the Boston media has done a good job at not reporting the true extent of how open his third eye is, but you can only contain stuff like that for so long particularly when he's getting asked about it more and more at press conferences. He could stand to learn a thing or two from U.S. men's soccer team captain Tyler Adams. Not only has Tyler never said anything as ridiculous as Jalen, but he handled a shitty journalist from Iran perfectly. The reporter condescendingly corrected Tyler on his pronunciation of Iran, then hit him with a question about how could he represent a country that treats black people so poorly. Tyler Adams is black. Now, this wasn't exactly out of nowhere. The U.S. was about to play Iran. We don't exactly have the greatest relationship with them as a country. They're going through a lot of protests due to the death of a young woman for allegedly violating hijab laws. Even the Iranian players have been protesting against the current regime, which has led to them and their families being threatened. On top of that, Team USA's soccer social media team posted a picture that changes Iran's flag to show support for the protesters. And Tyler handled this questioning incredibly, saying... There's discrimination everywhere you go. In the U.S., we're continuing to make progress every single day. Through education, I think it's super important. Like you just educated me now on the pronunciation of your country. It's a process. As long as you see progress, that's the most important thing. And this is a kid who's 23 years old, and he was able to handle that question like that. It was just incredible to see. And he's right. There's plenty of racism and discrimination everywhere, unfortunately. And I like to see more progress made faster. And I'm not shy about critiquing things in this country, but I am thankful for the progress that we've made so far. Like, for instance, the fact that our players can speak out without being threatened by our government. So shout out to the Iranian players who played their asses off with all this going on. Cannot even imagine the courage that that took. Team USA coach Greg Berhalter also had to field some aggressive questions from Iranian media, stuff like why hasn't he instructed the U.S. government to take away its Navy fleet from the Persian Gulf? Like, I mean, that's hilarious because this is the man who is in charge of the Team USA soccer team, and we can't even manage to get him to put Gio Reyna in the game. You think he can move a fleet that he isn't in charge of? Imagine if Jalen Brown had to handle questions like that. For those unfamiliar with Jalen off the court, there were some rumors about him being anti-vax, but the support of Kanye and Kyrie has been a bit much, and it's like he wants to go out there and say it with his chest, but he's still a little bit too scared to do that. I mean, Kyrie is obviously quite open with his ridiculousness, and I respect that to a degree, and we all know where he stands at least, but this Jalen Brown act is pretty cowardly. I mean, say what you want to say. You think you're so much smarter than us? Then enlighten us. 
I mean, he's still out here like halfway defending Kyrie, even after Kyrie walked it back. Then he's acting like he got the cues and the black Israelites confused on Twitter. I mean, come on. And there needs to be more questions about why he was signed to Kanye's sports agency, knowing damn well Antonio Brown was in charge of it. I've worked a lot of jobs, but none where I would feel comfortable with Antonio Brown providing me any kind of guidance. So I feel like there's a scandal brewing here, but this team has handled scandals so well so far that I guess we're just going to have to see them in June again until I tell you otherwise. The biggest surprise this NBA season, and one that I completely missed on, is the Sacramento Kings. I'm probably not alone on that because really who could have seen this coming? I was thinking like mid-30s wins for them and they're already like a third of the way there. Going to be tough to maintain that, but they probably do end up exceeding my expectation by a lot. Former Atlanta Hawk Kevin Herter is playing out of his mind. He's averaging a career-high 16 points on an absurd 45% shooting from three. Then you've got Demonis Sabonis playing like Jokic, putting up 17, 11, and 6. Or maybe he's just playing like his dad's son to be more accurate. His dad, Arvidas, was a great player for the Trailblazers back in the day, even though he came to the league late because the then-Soviet Union wasn't letting players come over, particularly not 7'3 ones who had guard skills. Arvidas was said to be on the level of the best centers we had over here before injury slowed him down, and he's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Now, I remember three things about Arvidas from my childhood. All right, number one, he ruptured his Achilles tendon. Shout out to me and Clay Thompson. And Arvidas's rupture took forever to heal, and then on top of that, he had an arthritic foot that was so bad that doctors told him that he qualified for a handicapped parking spot, and he played in the NBA like that and he was slow as all hell as a result. Number two, he had the biggest head of any person I've ever seen, like anatomically speaking. He was seven foot three, like I said, but if he had a normal sized head, he probably would have been a little bit taller than me. And finally, number three, it felt like every big game the Trailblazers had in the late 90s, early 2000s, someone would show up with a sign that said, he's not my Vetus, he's not your Vetus, he's our Vetus. And I love a good play on words. And so whenever Arvidas Sabonis comes up or his son DeMontis, I always mention these three things. It's automatic. Back to the Kings, the guy who has really led the charge for them is De'Aaron Fox. He's really thrived since they moved Tyrese Halliburton to the Pacers, and he's rightfully in the mix for an all-star spot. It'll be tough since the West is stacked, but 24, 5, and 6 on a team that's winning when they weren't supposed to be is a hell of an argument for De'Aaron. Now, speaking of both Aaron's Andes, Former Notre Dame and Green Bay Packer quarterback Deshaun Kaiser was on The Brenneman Show, and he was talking about how the first time he met Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers asked him if he believed in 9-11. Now, I'm not entirely sure how one either believes or doesn't believe in 9-11. It's not Santa Claus. And Deshaun was apparently just as confused as me because he was like, yeah, I believe in 9-11. And Aaron told him, oh, you should read up on that. Deshaun looked at this as some sort of bonding exercise, and he did research about conspiracy theories surrounding 9-11. Now, he was only with the Packers for one season, so I don't know how well all that bonding worked. Now, going back to LeBron comparing reactions about Kyrie and Jerry Jones, this is actually a better comp to me. These are conspiracy contemporaries. They've both done the anti-vax thing. They're both self-proclaimed free thinkers, whatever the hell that means. Kyrie did the Amazon anti-Semitism. Aaron has countered with 9-11 conspiracy theories. Aaron was actually interviewed on the Dan Lebetard show like right after the January 6th storming of the Capitol, and he did the whole both sides things. Now, he's always rubbed me the wrong way, but that interview in particular, I was like, oh, okay, I, I see. 
So to put my LeBron James hat on, what has to be done to talk about Aaron Rodgers in the same way that we talk about Kyrie outside of revitiligo? Homophobia, racism, anti-Semitism. Can we not just go ahead and get it started? Has anyone who's gone this far down the conspiracy theory path ever come back down to flat earth? Remember, as this continues to unravel for Aaron Rodgers, that I had it first. I was here alone staking out this ground. Oh, damn. All right. Well, I'm exhausted, but I think we're all caught up on the first quarter of NBA news, as well as all the other news that we missed out on when I took my week off. This has been another incredible episode of Beyond the Art with Brandon Silvers. I appreciate you watching and listening, and I will catch you next week.